It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Spring is definitely in the air. It sort of comes and it goes, but it is definitely going to, day after day, leave winter behind. And you can't miss the unmistakable changing of the seasons if you were outside this past week and you heard migrating sandhill cranes. A sound that 20 years ago would have stopped you absolutely wherever you are, whether you were in a forest preserve, whether you were in your backyard, whether even in your house and you heard them, you would have said, what is that? It's one of the great recovery stories of nature. I did a show a couple of weeks ago talking about the Sandhill Cranes on the, on the Platte River in Nebraska, which is the largest gathering of sandhills in the world. Well, if you were on the Fox River Valley, as I was this past week for a couple of days outside at times, you couldn't miss it. Flying overhead high, they're, they're, they're calls, and they don't migrate the way geese migrate. They're not in that perfect V. They kind of move with the thermals. They, they V up a little bit, and then they swirl, and then they ride the thermals, and they go north shore. They are among the oldest bird species in the world. They're going back to almost prehistoric times. The sandhill crane is is among the oldest bird species we have, and to hear their calls on an early March day in Illinois means we have really made, despite all we read and all we hear, and in fact, all we don't see, by that I mean the lack of birds of other species, the cranes have made just a phenomenal recovery. It, it is a success story in conservation, and a lot of that goes to George Archibald and the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, which 40 years ago or longer began to pioneer the work to save cranes. And today, they, they, they should take a bow. And all of us who, who thrill at the sight of cranes and they're nesting in northern Illinois, there are many places now where Sandhill cranes have set up are, are raising chicks in northern Illinois and throughout Wisconsin. It's it, in a way, it's the way it was 150 years ago before they began a precipitous decline. So when spring puts a little step in your air as it does, in your, in, your, in your legs as it does, and you look skyward and you hear the cranes, it's something to say, you know, we do have some success stories. We, we certainly have some huge problems, but there are also some success stories. And that magnificent call, the Sandhill Cranes, is one of them. Uh, we are looking at a tough time on the prairies this year again. It appears the eastern third of the prairies, or maybe I should even say the eastern quarter of the prairies, look like they have the potential to have decent moisture. So the eastern third of South Dakota, the eastern quarter of North Dakota, and, and, and much of South Southern and Southwestern Manitoba is in a lot better shape than it was last year at this time. The remainder of the prairies are about 200,000 square miles. That's a lot of land. Is not in very good shape. So the birds that are working their way north to go to their ancestral breeding, breeding grounds, we have about a month to five weeks at the most to see a great deal of moisture hit the prairies. It can happen. It's happened before. But if, if the prairies aren't wet 
by the middle to latter part of April, birds begin to fly over the prairies and go further north into the boreal forest. They don't nest much up there. They just sit and wait out the summer. This is what they're designed to do. They've, they've survived drought cycles for millennia, but we, we don't get a lot of production. And we know we had very poor production uh, last year in the, in the spring of 2021. We did not have good production in the spring of 20. So we're looking at year three uh, of a potentially not very good production from the prairies. One of the things that I do think is going to happen this year is we're actually going to have a survey. For the first time since 1955, in both 2000 and 2001, there were not surveys of the prairie breeding grounds to tell us how many birds there are. And we did our best guesses using computer models, and people felt, well, we have a high degree of accuracy. If we all know about computers, the information that comes out is only as good as the information that goes in. We need to get back to flying in planes, looking at the prairies, and getting on the ground, and 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 following these transects, the, the monitoring routes of populations that have been underway for so long, we, uh, we need to do that. And we need to do it this spring. And it looks as though the Fish and Wildlife Service, the United States and the Canadian Wildlife Service in Canada are, are, are beginning to get on track to do that. So as we, as we think about things, there, there are a couple of major, major things that have to take place this spring. We've got to get the surveys, the May breeding ground surveys back on track. And while it's totally beyond our control, we also have to uh, we also have to hope that we have plenty of moisture in the next month, or it's going to be another tough year. And speaking of of, of things that we do have control over, on as far as agriculture and raising birds and water, there was a small group of people meeting recently to talk about the upcoming farm bill, which certainly we'll talk about a lot on the air as we move towards it here in, in 2022. But one of the major things that can be done is to restructure a very technical program called the Federal Crop Insurance Program. And I won't, I won't go into the details of the program. And I know a lot of you listening in farm country who are involved in agriculture, you know it inside out. For those of you not listening, for those of you listening who, who are not active in agriculture, the bottom line is the Federal Crop Insurance Program pays landowners for lands that do not produce crops if, in fact, those lands are flooded out or droughted out and, and cannot produce a crop. They receive a certain percentage of what they would have received as though they had grown the crop. This has been a program that's been around for a while, and, and it's a program that ha- was designed with great benefits in mind, and it, it has actually turned out, as sometimes happen, well-intentioned programs have not worked that well on the ground. And particularly in in areas of marginal farmland in the Dakotas, what happened is a lot of land that was not farmed uh, suddenly uh, became farmed. A lot of areas around wetlands, areas that might have been alkali, which had native grasses, because under the federal crop insurance program, if you farm the land, even if you didn't grow a crop, you could get paid as though you did. And, And the return rate on that farmland was a lot higher than having cows graze on it or, or even worse, not having any income at all because it was too wet to farm. So part of what's being discussed and I think is really, really important as we, as we go forward here in the farm bill discussions is, is how to fix that. It was never intended 
the federal crop insurance program would bring more acres into production or more potential acres into production, and people would get paid on land that had terrible yields, really wasn't suited for farming, just so they could collect insurance and pay, insurance and payments. And that's what's happened. And a lot of people in agriculture are not happy about it because it's diverting funds from areas such as Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa, areas that have very high yields, and suddenly we have a terrible drought. Uh, and, and now crop insurance payments are being diluted by going to areas that never should have been farmed to begin with. So the federal crop insurance program is, is something that very much needs to be on the table as we talk about the, the coming of the farm bill and what we can do. And it is one of those things that, that has gotten out of control. And a very smart guy uh, in the business has offered that maybe what we should do is we should have conservation payments on marginal farmlands that fall under the federal crop insurance program rather than having those lands plowed and then not having anything planted or plowed and then having a crop fail almost every year. So can we reward landowners for good conservation on some lands that are currently in the federal crop insurance program, thereby freeing up funds for, for, for really, I would call, legitimate purposes. And here in Illinois, we, we do have some landowners, I believe, that are farming areas of wetlands or that, that consistently flood, flood, whether it be the Illinois River, the Kaskaskia River, or the Sagamon River. And, and we're getting payments for those um, when, in fact, they never should be farmed to begin with. So it's a discussion that's on the table, and I, I do hope for a, for a pretty good outcome. When I come back from the break in a moment, I'm going to talk about some litigation in the Mississippi River that is quite fascinating. And if I have time, I'm going to talk about microplastics, but it's a, uh, it, which is an evolving environmental field, which uh, two years ago, you probably never, we never talked about. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thanks for joining me. If you've been with me all along and if you're just coming on the air, I'm going to talk about, well, one of my actually one of my favorite subjects. That is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which I, as you know, from time to time, um, absolutely 
am just mystified at the things that they have done. Uh, yes, the Corps of Engineers can be credited with a few things that have helped uh, water conservation and the environment through the years. But by and large, I think it is fair to say that if there's a poster child for destruction of wetlands and mismanagement of, of water resources, uh, it would be the Corps of Engineers. And I'm sure the generals putting out and in, in St. Louis or out in Moline or down in Vicksburg, where for a long time I've had a, a running commentary with, with the office in Vicksburg because of what's happened in the lower Mississippi. I'm sure they're going to say this is just terrible. It's unfair. The Corps of Engineers only does good work. Well, we know that the Corps of Engineers has caused a huge amount of environmental degradation. And what's going on now in the lower Mississippi may be a pulling back of a little bit of the sheets, if you will, through a lawsuit the Corps of Engineers wants absolutely nothing to do with, but they can't run from it. Landowners in the lower Mississippi have formed a class action lawsuit against the Corps of Engineers for the illegal taking of their lands. This is not a small potatoes deal. This is not the Corps of Engineers trying to work on a couple of landowners that they know they can beat up with legal costs and cause them to settle or make up a, a small adjustment, which is what they typically do. They, they divide groups and then, and then they settle how they're going to handle one by one. This is, this is hundreds of landowners involving hundreds of thousands of acres. Actually, I think it's over a million acres of landowners who are saying, you have artificially raised the water level of the lower Mississippi River, and as a result, you have taken our lands without compensating us. You have killed our timber, you flooded out our fields, you've ruined our wildlife habitat, and you've done so without any compensation. So they are saying it's an illegal taking of land. And this suit is working its way through the courts. It's a blockbuster. And in Illinois, Everyone, everyone on the Mississippi alluvial plain, which is where the Corps of Engineers have been busy as beavers for, for almost 100 years, is paying attention. Because if this wins in Mississippi and, and Louisiana on the illegal taking of lands, then you can bet it's going to win in Illinois. And think of and those of you who own lands on the Illinois River or the Kaskaskia River or the Sagamon River, any place the Corps of Engineers has worked, and your lands now are being inundated more often than they ever were, if this suit goes through, and, and I think you've listened to me for a long time in the air, I am not a fan of litigation. I, I just think it's, you know, it is one of the things that's really messed up our wildlife management is, is litigation. But in this case, litigation's wearing the white hats. And if it works in Mississippi and Arkansas, it's going to work in Illinois. Landowners are going to be paid for the damage taken under their land by the Corps of Engineers flooding their lands more often than would have naturally been the case. But focusing on the lower Mississippi, which is what the Corps of Engineers is really worried about, first of all, they've done what the Corps of Engineers always does or any governmental agency, they've delayed and they've delayed and they don't provide information and then they redact information and they black and I've been looking at the, at the legal filings, but not everyone in, in the Corps of Engineers loves the Corps of Engineers. I suppose that's true of anything. So there are individuals within the Corps of Engineers that have been providing the plaintiffs with unredacted core letters, which, which uh, actually quite changed the discussion, but it appears that the Corps of Engineers has caused 
heavier than acknowledged siltation in the lower Mississippi River Basin. That means the flow of the Mississippi River as it comes south towards Baton Rouge and the big river, old river structure at the Red River, which is where the river makes a hard turn to go on east and goes down to the Atchafalaya. It appears that the river is backing up, which is why lands from north of there through Natchez, Vicksburg, and all the way up are being inundated with higher frequency, while the lower Mississippi Delta, the Yazoo River Basin, is underwater a whole lot more than it used to be, why sawmills on the Mississippi River are are going underwater, why all kinds of national wildlife refuges are going underwater, why islands on the Mississippi River are going underwater that never did. They would go underwater for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. A couple of years ago, they were underwater for 10 months. It's because there's too much sediment in the lower Mississippi River that can't move. And it can't move because of what the Corps of Engineers has done to the Mississippi River. So these landowners are saying, you've taken my land and you haven't paid me for it. We'll see what happens. It, it's, it's truly uh, one of those suits that could change America. And, and the Corps of Engineers could have, they could have a lot of pain ahead of them if this lawsuit is successful. I'm not going to judge whether, whether it is or not. I'm just saying here this morning on WGN Radio, this is a transformational suit, a class action suit by landowners who feel the Corps of Engineers has harmed them. And from a lifetime of experience in the lower Mississippi, I can tell you firsthand experience, these islands and these low river areas are flooding more and more than they ever used to. And for a longer duration, something's going on. It's not the way it was. Of course, it never is in the world. I'll be back next week with much more in the Great Outdoors show. When I do, I'm going to spend some time talking about what happens with high gas prices to the travel industry, the hunting and fishing industry this summer, what may happen, what's looming, how resorts, lodges, and and customers are going to deal with it, plus much more. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great week and the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.